morning, church. Um, like what Caleb said, this is a relatively new experience for me, but this is the third church that I've been to preach at. And every single time, it is just such a joy to get to gather with the body of Christ in a different place. And even though I haven't met any of you, well, I've met Caleb before, um, it's the love of Christ is just so evident. Um, and Sunday school discussion to worship together. Uh, so thank you for letting me come and join you guys. So today we're going to be studying 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 through 16. So, Alright, so 1 Thessalonians 2, verse, chapter 2, verse 13 through 16. So just to set the stage a little bit, this is Paul's first letter writing back to the church in Thessalonica. He originally planted the church there, and you see that story in Acts 17, but he had to leave the church about three weeks after planting it because the persecution from the Jews in that area was so intense. So Paul is writing back to check, check in on the church and encourage them. So chapter 1 looked at the faith of the Thessalonians and how it was active as they imitated Paul and Christ. And then in the first half of, first half of chapter 2, Paul laid out his model of ministry to remind the Thessalonians of why they could trust him and to give them an example to follow. So now here in uh, verses 13 through 16, we're going to look at the priority of God's word in believers' lives. So let's read that passage, First Thessalonians chapter two, verses thirteen through sixteen. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God and Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out, and displeased God, and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sin, but wrath is coming upon them at last. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is from you, that it is by, by your word that we get to know you, to know the message of salvation and hope, not for not just for an eternity, but for our lives today. Lord, I pray that as we study this passage, that you would work in our hearts to help us fully rely on you and your word, and not ourselves. So I pray that whatever is of me would be forgotten and passed away, but that your word would be living and active and working in all of us. In so, Wake have mentioned that I grew up in Nebraska, and so. Growing up in Nebraska, I was a huge Huskers football fan, loved the Chiefs as well. And so when I got the opportunity to play high school football, I went straight in for it. And like all the other guys, we'd heard the horror stories, the two-a-day practices, and all the conditioning, all the strength training that would go with it. But even knowing all of that struggling and suffering that we were going to go through, we still signed up. A couple days into the first two-a-day practices, there were plenty of guys who were faking injuries and complaining nonstop about the exact thing that they had signed up for, right? We knew exactly the suffering that we were in for, and that it would be good for us in the long run, but yet yeah, we wanted out. We didn't want to actually go through it once we saw how difficult it was going to be. The thing is, how often are we prone to do the same thing as believers? And Christ teaches us that we'll have suffering in this life, and that the world will oppose us, but he says to take heart knowing that Christ has overcome the world. Yet so often we are prone to go and look for ways to get out of the trials and suffering. 
our nature is to seek to avoid suffering, even when we should be expecting it. So because suffering and rejection are promised to believers, we must rely on the word of God in every aspect of our faith, knowing that hope comes from that. Specifically, we'll see from the text today that we've got to rely on the word, rely on the word of God in three different ways. We must receive the word of God, we must follow the word of God, and we must speak the word of God. So that takes us to our first point, that we must receive the word of God. So look at me, look at me at verse 13. We'll see how the Thessalonians receive the word. It says, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Like Paul is starting off and just saying that he's thankful for the Thessalonians. We thank God constantly for this. Well, what is this? The way in which the Thessalonians <laughs> received the word of God. They didn't merely accept it as, oh, this is an interesting passage from Paul, or this random traveling preacher. But they went and studied the scriptures and they accepted the word that was being preached as the word of God, what it truly is. And so we see it's so important to distinguish that the Bible is not just another book with a bunch of good ideas. It's not even just a helpful guide, guide to life. It is the Word of God. It's spoken and inspired. Second Timothy 3.16 lays out this idea clearly that all Scripture is God-breathed. It is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. We face a temptation to treat the Word, treat Scripture as less than it is. Maybe we're tempted to do what Thomas Jefferson did and air out certain pages that contain teachings that we don't like. That are better difficult. But we can't do that because we're not God. Right? There are going to be parts that are tough to understand, that are difficult to obey, or they go against our culture. But if we just tear up, start tearing out pages of what we don't like, we're maybe putting ourselves in the position of God. Kind of reminds me of growing up, we would always go out to my grandma's house. So my cousins and I would look for any entertainment we could in our grandma's house about TV or radio and things. So there's a ping pong table in the basement. So we spent hours and hours and hours playing ping pong. For, especially starting at four or five years old, we couldn't play by the official rules. We didn't know what the official rules were. So we came up with our own sets of rules that, okay, well, the ball can bounce as many times on the table so long as it doesn't hit the ground before you hit it back up on the table. Okay, so the ball can just effectively roll. And then we came up with another one that, well, it's way more fun if you have to dodge the ball when it comes flying off the end of the table. So if the ball hits you, even if it didn't hit the table, it's still the other player's point. So we had all these awesome rules, and it was a blast. I thought that's what real ping pong was, that's what real table tennis was. That's all I knew. Until I got to middle school and went over to play table tennis at a friend's house, we got in a pretty significant dispute over what the rules of table tennis were, because I thought these were the real rules. We ended up having to go upstairs and look up the rules on the internet and, okay, no, this, it really can only bounce one button. Right? Such a silly, meaningless thing. But I was getting heated because I thought I knew the rules. I thought I knew what I was supposed to be doing, and he was wrong. We had to go to an authority that was higher than us. We had to go to what the actual table tennis authorities had established. So in a similar way, we need to know what the true word of God is. We can pick up a lot of ideas from people around us to make things a little bit easier for us to help us dodge some of the suffering. The 
but in that case, we're not truly knowing and obeying the Word of God that He's delivered to us. We need to receive the Word of God as the source of authority, not any words of men. To be clear, this isn't always an easy thing to do. There are several portions of Scripture that we may not want to obey. Like Luke 26, 27 tells us that we're supposed to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. That is unnatural. That is not something that we want to do. Yeah, it's what we're committed to. Or there's the story of the rich young ruler that makes so many of us uncomfortable that he came and he had done everything right. But Jesus said one thing you lack. Lack, sell all of it. Sell all you have and follow him. He was unwilling to surrender that book. Especially for those of us here in America, it makes us uncomfortable to consider selling some of the things that make us make us comfortable in order to follow Christ and sacrifice. Or there's even the pressure that culture puts on us to accept homosexuality rather than standing by the word of God and know this is a sin. I love you as a human being, but this is a sin. All of these different things are things that are, you know, if I got to choose and write my own Bible, probably wouldn't be in there because they're difficult. They're not fun. Man, they're so worth it. You know, what God has commanded us to do. We have to receive the word of God as it is. The other portion of this is that we have to know the word of God in order to receive it. On Sundays here, we only go through a couple verses at a time, maybe a chapter at most. So how long does that take to get through the entirety of Scripture and to hear all of God's Word? We've got to be in the Word on our own, being filled with by the Word on a daily basis. And if the Word is talked about as the bread of life. We ate bread once a week. We're going to start real quick. We've got to go to the bread of life, the Word of God, daily. So whatever that looks like for you guys, I don't know. I personally love the two-year Bible reading plan, where it takes you through about two chapters a day to get through the entire Bible in two years, because I read slow. So I enjoy that plan, and that helps me to get in the Word daily. I have a bunch of friends that will constantly do the Bible in a year plan, where it's three, four, or five chapters a day, but they get through the entire Bible in a year. Or a bunch of my friends, this, just this summer, decided to do a reading plan to study through the New Testament in the course of the summer. But having some sort of accountability to read the word on a regular basis and get through it. And there's so much to be learned. It's like Second Timothy talked about. All scripture is God breathed. Not just the New Testaments that are really easy to understand. Right? That includes Job, that includes Isaiah. That includes the Psalms that are so refreshing. It's the word of God that is all God breathed and all responsible. But relying on the word of God doesn't stop it receiving it and being familiar with it. Relying on the word continues to be more points. So that takes us to our second point, that we must follow the word of God. I missed the slide. But yeah, second point, follow the word of God. So, look at me back. We'll be in verses 13 and 14 for this, picking up the second half of 13. We'll see how the word of God impacts the lives of us at Thessalonians. So starting in the middle of verse 13. You accepted it not as the word of men, but that's what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from Jews. Right? We see this first descriptor here, end of verse 13. 
where it says, which is at work in you believers. The word of God is at work in you believers. They didn't, the word of God produces change in their lives, in our lives as believers. And there's some comfort and burden that's taken off of us as believers, knowing that the word of God is at work within us. It's not even necessarily any work of our own. But by knowing and trusting and receiving the word of God, it begins to work in us and to change our hearts, to change our lives, even without our own effort to follow it, to get to the Holy Spirit working in it. But it doesn't end there. It begins with the word working in us and continues to the rest of our lives and to how we apply it. Right? Because it then continues on. For, for you brothers became imitators of the church of God. <coughs> Becoming imitators is an action. They took action to become imitators of these other churches. Now, of course, the goal isn't for them to just mimic other churches. The goal isn't to just, okay, that church seems cool, so we're going to do everything that they do. That church is just full, just as full of sinners as ours. Right? The goal is to look to the Word of God and imitate the Word of God, to imitate Christ, and to have other churches help us do that, look to their example and help us to imitate as we go. This idea of imitation is introduced back in chapter 1. If we flip back just a page or two. Chapter 1, verse 6 says, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. The key portion of this is you became imitators of us and of the Lord. And of the Lord Jesus. That's our ultimate example of who we are imitators. We follow the example of other believers around us because we're all following the Word of God. Specifically, we see that the Thessalonians followed the example of churches in Judea in suffering. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. In other words, the Thessalonians are, same, are suffering the same things from unbelievers around them as the churches in Judea suffered from the Jews who were around them. Both the Thessalonians and the Judean Christians following the example of, Jesus, of Christ in suffering. And this similar suffering confirms that they're following the same word of God, that they have the same belief, because they're enduring the same suffering. There's a certain sense of camaraderie and comfort that comes when you know that you're all on the same page, suffering the same things with others. Right? There's a, book, a great book um, called Insanity of God by Nick Ripken that shares a bunch of stories of the persecuted church and a bunch of different and one of the most striking stories to me that comes out of that is the story of house church in China. That as Nick Rukin went to visit this church, they asked him, first off, one of the pastors asked, do people in other countries know, also know about Jesus, or is he still only known in China? And they were so cut off from the rest of the world that they had no idea if other people knew about Jesus. But that was the first question they asked him when they had an outsider come in. They wanted to know, do other people know about this good news? Are they suffering like we are? And they shared that, yeah, the churches in America know about the house churches in China. They're praying for you consistently. They're not suffering in the same way, but we're praying for you. And later on, Nick shared some stories with these Chinese believers about believers in Muslim countries that are being persecuted terribly by their neighbors. Shared this story all before they went to bed exhausted after a late night of teaching and sharing stories. And when Nick shares that when he woke up, he woke up to hearing screaming and wailing 
and crying, and thought that, well, that there's only one explanation for this secret truth to come, take away these believers and not put all this hell about this. So he walks outside of his front door, and sees all the Chinese Christians still there, but kneeling, laying on the ground, praying. We asked his translator, what's what's going on? I don't understand any Chinese. What are they praying about? The translator just told him, be quiet. Just, just listen. And he heard the names of the two Muslim countries that he had shared about the night before, being repeated over and over and over again. Translator explained that they were so moved by what you shared last night and about believers who are truly persecuted that they have vowed before God that they will get up an hour earlier every morning to pray for those Muslim background believers that you told them about in those Muslim nations and both Jesus is known throughout the country. Here's persecuted church in China knows what separated them, and so they committed to spend an hour or get up an hour earlier every morning to spend that time in prayer other churches who they see as truly persecuted. They knew what it was to suffer the Christ, to follow the word of God. And so they wanted to pray for and encourage. They were encouraged by the story of other believers who knew what it truly was to suffer and to follow God. Receiving the word of God had an effect on the believers in China that led them to follow the word of God and pray earnestly for other believers. So what are we supposed to do? Follow the word of God. Obey it. Specifically, we need to get in fellowship with other believers. Knowing that other believers are suffering or have suffered some of the same things that we suffer is reassuring. Knowing that we're all on the same path. We're all following the same God. Not only that, when we share in our suffering, we can learn from those around us. Learn how they fought through and endured times of suffering. And also share the lessons that we've learned. Part of the beauty of having a church is that we've all gone through different life experiences. We've all experienced different things, different trials and difficulties. It may not be direct persecution, but we've all had family members who have been sick and died. We've suffered through that. We can share the lesson that we've learned and the hope that we've shared. And I'll point it back to God. So we know that to rely on the Word of God begins with receiving the Word of God. And then following the Word of God. Now we'll see that it leads to speaking the Word of God. So that's our third main point. That we must speak the Word of God. So look with me at verse 15 and 16. We'll see the importance of speaking the Word of God. Starting in verse 15. Who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out, and displeased God, and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the full measure, the measure of their sins, but the wrath has come upon them at last. So this is laying out specifically how the believers suffer, both in Thessalonica and in Judea. Just the standard suffering for Christians at that time. And at first glance, speaking only seems to come up in verse 16, where it says, by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved that we have this issue of that they were hindered and not allowed to speak to the Gentiles. If we go back and dig a little bit deeper, we see speech right through this entire thing. It says, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets. Well, why was Jesus killed? 
As he was speaking the word of God, he came declaring the message of repentance and salvation. He spoke the word of God. There was opposition to it. Why were the prophets killed? Because they spoke the word of God boldly, even in the face of persecution and people who were opposed to it. And so they were killed. And then it says, and drove us out. Paul and company were driven out from these different places because they spoke the word of God. They were speaking the word of God and that wasn't received well by people who were opposed to it. And so the result, they were driven out. And then we get, and displease God and oppose all mankind. And this is spelled out a little bit more plainly for it. Why did they displease God and why did they oppose all mankind? Because they hindered people from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. This is the question, what was the message that was being spoken to the Gentiles that, might, that they might be saved? It's the message of the gospel. It's the message of God's word. All of this suffering and opposition comes because believers are speaking the word of God. It isn't too hard for us to make the connection to our own lives. Far too often we're afraid to speak the word of God, to share the gospel, to have a, have a conversation about God with unbelievers because we're afraid of how they'll respond. Now, we, might, we can be pretty confident that here in the States we're not going to get killed for sharing the gospel with somebody. But we might get yelled at. We might be rejected by our friends. There might be people who choose to not talk with us or say hi or be a friend in the workplace anymore. But that's not our concern. Verse 16 takes that burden off of us. By saying that by hindering us from speaking, by rejecting the message of the gospel, they fill up the measure of their sins. The wrath has come upon them at last. When we are rejected for speaking the gospel, they're actually rejecting God, not us. John chapter 15, verses 18-19 says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, I but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Just as the world has hated and rejected Jesus and other believers before us, we are to be similarly hated and rejected by the world. The darkness hates the light. But we can take comfort knowing that our responsibility isn't to change people's hearts. That's in God's hands. Our responsibility is simply to speak the word. Share the hope and joy that we know that because Christ died on the cross and rose again, we have hope. We can trust his sacrifice to pay the price for our sins and look to the eternal gift of life. As we speak this message of God for hope in Christ, we're imitating Christ in the generations of believers before us. We know that just as they suffered, so too we must suffer. And just as they saw the joy of sinners repenting and coming to Christ, we get to see the same joy. Not only that, but consider Christ and prophets and Paul that we see laid out here who spoke the word of God. They certainly spoke to unbelievers, right? and that's the suffering that they faced, declaring the good news of the gospel. But they also spoke the word of God to believers, sharing and rejoicing in the good news in him. This is going to be a little bit of a shallow comparison, but I hope it gets. Nothing, no good news can compare to the good news of the gospel. But growing up in Nebraska, in Nebraska, there's this burger shop called Honest Days. 
that has the best burgers on the planet. I promise you, if you go there, best burgers on the planet. And so, naturally, since I know that they have the best burgers on the planet, I'm going to tell people about it. Anytime I hear that some of my friends are going up to Lincoln, you've got to stop at Honest Dave's. You've got to try their burgers, right? I can't help but tell them about the glory and the joy found in Honest Dave's burgers, right? Now, if somebody chooses not to eat there when they're in Lincoln, that's not my problem. I still know how good the burgers are. They're just missing out on the awesomeness. But if they do eat there, when they come back, the report is always the same. Oh my goodness, those burgers were insane. They're so good. And we get to share the joy of discussing how just how good those burgers were. How much more ought we to be willing to share about Christ? To share the message knowing that if somebody rejects it, somebody rejects the word of God that we've spoken, they're missing out. That's unfortunate for them. But if we get to see them repent and accept the message of the gospel, man, that is a joy that lasts for eternity, knowing that you've now met brother and sister in Christ. Our job is simply to speak the gospel boldly. We trust that the response of others is totally God's hand. We can't help but speak the word of God. So, who are you speaking the word of God to? For starters, just look around, even in our conversations that will take place after the service today. Are we just going to talk about the weather, graduation, or the, what summer plans are happening? Are we going to take time to talk about those things, but also to talk about what God is doing in your life? Speak of what God has been teaching you as you receive the word and follow the word. And then as you go out this week, we've got, we've got to seek out unbelievers that we can speak the word of God to and share the gospel with. Think of one person you don't know. They're not. Maybe you're just uncertain of whether they're a believer or not. You've never had that kind of conversation with them. Make it a point to seek out that kind of conversation. One of my favorite questions to ask people is simply, do you think about spiritual things much? Do you think about spiritual things much? It's starts the conversation from cold. Of, you know, goes from talking about the weather to talking about things of God. And just what their thoughts are. Just care. Listen and ask. Typically when you ask that question, after you hear their response, people usually are like, well, why did you ask that? Why, what, what, do you think about spiritual things? Oh, what do you do? I, here's the gospel. Right? Or one of my favorite questions, I've spent a lot of time with Missouri Western college students. One of my favorite questions is as I'm getting to know people, you know, we always ask, okay, where are you originally from? What's your major? What are you studying? Where did you grow up? Right in line with that is, did you grow up going to church? Do you still go to church? Why or why not? What's the story there? Because admittedly, we're in the Midwest. The vast majority of people have some experience with church. So that can be a great basis of starting a conversation. The key thing is to Get the ball rolling. Ask an open-ended question that gets them talking about what they do. They'll get an opportunity to share the hope of the gospel and mess with that. Just relying on God, knowing that it's in His hands, whether they accept or reject the message. Here's how, they go, how the conversation goes. So, as we go into the, out into this week, we know that we're going to face suffering in some form or another. It might be rejection for speaking the word of God, or maybe it'll just be our plans getting wrecked by a flat tire and causing us to be frustrated and short-tempered. But we know that we're going to face suffering. 
because we know that we'll face some sort of suffering, we, we must rely on the Word of God in every aspect of our lives. We must first receive the Word of God, accepting it and regularly reading what God has inspired to give us, so we can know Him and know His will for our lives. And then we must follow the Word of God, looking to the example of Christ and other believers as we help each other as we strive to follow the Word of God. And then finally, we must speak the Word of God, boldly declaring the hope of the gospel to believers and unbelievers alike. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. That by it we get to know you. Not just to know you, to see your heart, see your will for our lives. Father, I pray that as we go into this week, that we would live a life of obedience to you, looking to glorify you in every way. Father, we thank you for the salvation that you've given us. We pray that you would give us the boldness to share that good news with others in our lives. We pray all this in your name. Amen.